evening, Grace Church. It is good to see everyone here. Welcome to the campus. Glad you are here tonight. Those joining us on live stream and Facebook Live, thank you for making our service a part of your evening. And I know you are going to be blessed by the Word of God and the presence of God here tonight. Amen. Why don't we stand together this evening? If you would, stand with me. I want to take a few moments and just ask the Lord to, uh, to anoint, to move, to work in our midst tonight, to give him praise, and to identify with his presence that's already here tonight. Can we do that together for just a few moments? Jesus, we thank you today for the opportunity to be in your house, for the opportunity to be in your presence, Lord, for uh, the, the, the ability to gather with those of like-minded faith. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of your presence. Lord, it is good for us to be here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And so, Lord, tonight I'm praying that you would anoint our minds and our hearts to receive from your word. Lord, I pray you'd anoint in Kids Church. I pray you'd anoint in everything that's done on campus tonight. Let the Holy Ghost flow through this place and through the campus. We'd be careful to give you the praise in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Clap your hands to the Lord and say, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, God bless you. You may be seated. Again, so glad to see all of you here this evening. We have uh, just a couple of things I want to remind you of, a, a really important weekend coming up, an exciting weekend coming up. And I want you to make notes. Uh, you may have received a text message today. You may have received an announcement on your church app. I hope you did. Uh, but we're going to let you know one more time, remind you one more time, just in case. Family night outside is Saturday. And that begins at 4 o'clock, 4 p.m. Um, here on the church campus right outside. Uh, it's also, uh, uh, we're also asking you to bring your soft drinks and lawn chairs. Everything else will be provided, but you need to bring soft drinks and lawn chairs. And uh, we're going to have a great time. It's a good time to bring a guest with you. It's a good time to bring somebody with you. Uh, introduce them to our church family, our church campus. Let them see what we're all about. So please come out with your family this Saturday at 4 o'clock. Looks like the weather's going to be perfect from, from what I can tell at least, from what they're predicting. Uh, I think we're going to just have a great, great time. And then don't forget, of course, to fall back on the time change. Saturday night going into Sunday morning. We need to fall back on our time and uh, go back an hour. So we want you to be on time for church. I have to stop and think about whether you'll be late or early, depending, you know, whatever. The important thing is just move your clocks back and you'll be on time on Sunday morning. And then in the service Sunday, we'll be honoring all of our veterans. Uh, in anticipation of Veterans Day, we have a special presentation for our veterans. So come out Sunday and be ready for that. It's going to be a great time. If you got all that, say amen. 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 Just before Pastor comes for Bible study, did want to share with you something uh, that's on my mind and in my heart. Um, and the, of course, the book of Acts is, is so prolific, so powerful, so many uh, great things that God did through the early church. And I find it so interesting in Acts chapter 4, uh, right after uh, Peter and John had, had uh prayed and and the lame man had been raised uh, that had been lame from his birth had been raised to, uh, back to, to be able to walk right after that they were arrested and thrown in prison and all of that that went on they were accused of you know causing insurrection accused of causing problems and chaos all of that 
Um, but then the Bible says in Acts chapter 4, uh, verse 13, Luke records, he says, but they realized that the disciples had been with Jesus. They realized that the disciples had been with Jesus. There is something about being a disciple of Jesus and being in his presence on a regular basis. People take note. Amen. Have you ever, have you ever had somebody say, well, I, I know you're a praying person. Would you help me pray for my need? I know you're a person of faith. Would you help me pray for my family? Or, or, or they, they say, there's just something different about you. That's how it should be when we're disciples of Jesus in his presence on a daily basis, in his word, in his presence. People should realize that we have been with Jesus. But then again, something else very important happens in Acts chapter 5. Uh, between Acts chapter 4 where they are arrested and everything that I just described, by Acts chapter 5, more miraculous signs and wonders had happened, more power uh, of God had been demonstrated, and the disciples find themselves arrested and thrown in prison again. And this time, the council of the Pharisees are, are, are meeting, and they're deciding what to do with the disciples. And a Pharisee by the name of Gamaliel stands up, and he has some really good advice for the council, for the Pharisees, for those that are wanting to put a stop to this demonstration of God through the disciples and through the early church. Gamaliel says, hey guys, remember we've had insurrectionists in the past. We've had others that stood up and tried to overthrow, and it came to nothing. It went nowhere. It fizzled out on its own. And he tells them, he says, if this is of man, if, if everything that's happening through the early church that the disciples are doing through the power of God is of man, it will come to nothing. But it, if it is of God, it cannot be overthrown. If it is of God, it cannot be overthrown. And here's the point. This is what occurred to me. Here we are over 2,000 years later, and it has not been overthrown. It is still going forth. It's still going powerful. It's still moving forward. I'm thankful to be a part of the church that will never pass away. It can't be put down. It can't be eradicated. God will have a church, and we're part of it. Amen. If you feel that way today, would you just clap your hands to Jesus as pastor comes? I'm thankful to be part of the church. Thank the Lord. And everybody said amen to that. Thank the Lord. Great to see you tonight as always, and uh, thank you for being here for Bible study tonight, and uh, uh, I deeply appreciate seeing all of you here tonight. <clears throat> I shared this with my Sunday school class a couple of Sundays ago in light of all the things that are uh, happening in the Middle East, and I wanted to share it with you here tonight. Um, this is not my Bible study for tonight. But I have wanted to share this with you. When you read Genesis chapter 16, you'll find that that is where Ishmael was born. Um, Abraham's son um, that he had with uh, Hagar. And um, they thought this would, would be okay to do that. And it was common in that culture for such things to happen. And... Um, <clears throat> They thought that this would be okay to do it this way since Sarah could not have a child of herself. And um, all I can say is they didn't listen to the voice of the Lord that clearly. 
and uh, God said it would come from her, and that's what he meant. But I want to show you, in spite of or against the backdrop of what's going on in the Middle East and has gone on since Ishmael and Isaac, um, I want to give you some Bible for that. Uh, and again, Genesis chapter 16, verse 7 um, well, you read about the, the, the birth of Ishmael in, in Genesis chapter 16. But when you get to uh, verse 12, she's, there's an angel of the Lord has visited her. And uh, there's been some problems and complications with her relationship with Sarah and, and what have you. And in verse 10, the Bible said, The angel of the Lord said unto her, uh, to Hagar, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly. And it shall, be, shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord uh, said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and thou shalt bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. Verse 12, And he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. This was a, a, literally a prophecy that did not conclude with the death of, of, of Ishmael. It has continued on unto this day. Um, I want to be very careful here. Um, in verse 12, the Bible said he would be a wild man. Um, in the, the King James Version, when it was, uh, the, the Bible was translated into English, the word man was not the word that was used here. Uh, the actual word was, I'll just call it the, what I would call the vulgar name for a donkey. That's what he said he would be, meaning that the implication is that he would be uh, extremely rebellious, rebellious and just never go with the flow. Um, uh, there's a lot of connotation there. I've not come to teach that tonight. But I did want to share that with you, that there will be no peace um, in the Middle East between the Jews and the, the Arab people until Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom in the millennial. Um, it's going to be a battle um, between these people. I'm saying that tonight to say that the Jewish people have never had a desire to eradicate the earth of Arab people. Um, they just want to be the people of God ultimately. They want to inherit the land that God gave them and that's their desires. I heard, I watched a YouTube clip today. It was um, a very high-ranking Hamas leader uh, was interviewed by another um, Arab uh, commentator, newscaster, what have you. And uh, of course, they were all speaking in Arabic back and forth to each other, so they put the translation of that at the bottom of the screen. And he made it very clear. He made it very clear, no questions asked, that uh, we do not want peace with the Jews. We want them eradicated off the planet. We don't want, there will, he said, there will never be peace until every Jew that's on this earth today is destroyed. Uh, he was very clear. The newscaster 
whatever network this was somewhere in the Middle East said, are you, so you're saying that they should be annihilated, that the Jews should be annihilated? And he said, absolutely. So this is their bent. They don't want peace. Um, that spirit that consumed Adolf Hitler, um, even Mussolini, others, uh, is still alive and well. And is, if you're keeping up with the news at all, the persecution of the Jews now seems has seemingly has gone virtually worldwide. And Jesus told them that you will be persecuted of all men. And uh, we're watching that prophecy come to pass in, in front of our eyes. Perhaps you saw uh, the newscast where uh, the, the Arab slash Palestinian people um, literally took over. It was a mob of people took over the airport in, in some town in Russia. I'd never heard of that town. Said they had heard a plane had landed there from Tel Aviv, and we want the Jews. We want to stab them through and we want to shoot them dead, they said. These were just innocent people getting off of an airplane. But this is what's going on in our world today, and what's driving that is uh, a lot of biblical teaching, biblical prophecy that Jesus told them, told the Jews back when he was God in flesh on this planet, that this is what's going to happen. And the closer it comes to the end time, the worse it's going to be. So we're watching this prophecy come to pass in front of our eyes. So not only that, um, I told you Sunday that I would, would teach tonight uh, on the precision of prophecy. This is probably one of the most profound, amazing prophecies in the Bible, in my opinion. Um, it's not the greatest, but it is absolutely amazing. At how accurate and specific God can be, and when He prophesies, and in, in, in what I'm about to read to you, when He when He prophesied this, it doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter who's the king of any country. It doesn't matter. God's plan will come to pass exactly, exactly like He said it. I'm going to try not to be too lengthy tonight. I'm going to try not to chase rabbits. I want to go through this as, I don't want to go through it quickly, but I want you to understand when you read Bible prophecy, I want you to understand what you're up against. God, a time calendar. God has things that's going to happen. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. It doesn't matter what the world's doing. It doesn't matter. And this proves that absolutely. It doesn't matter what happens from the time the prophecy was given until it's fulfilled. It doesn't matter. Uh, God's going to make his word come to pass, and that's very advantageous for everybody here tonight to understand. So I want to read tonight from Daniel chapter 9, uh, beginning with verse one, uh, 21. Daniel chapter 9, verse 21. Uh, Daniel said, Yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, actually the angel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touch me about, uh, touch me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of the locations, the commandment came forth 
and I am come to show thee. For thou art greatly beloved, therefore understand the matter and consider the vision. So in my opinion, the angel Gabriel has gotten Daniel's attention, kind of slapped him across the face a couple of times and said, you listen to me. What I'm about to tell you is going very, very important. Verse 24, he said, 70 weeks, 70 weeks are determined. Everybody say determined. This means this cannot fail. This means this will not fail. 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon the holy city, Jerusalem, to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring an everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, not the temple, but to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be 70 weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come uh, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with the flood and unto the end of the war desolations are determined and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease and for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured out upon the desolate I want to call this, title this presentation to the precision of prophecy. <clears throat> I'm going to explain what the word week means. It's not like our week. I'll come to that in a few moments. Bear with me. So to fully appreciate the, refute, the, the remarkable significance of the following material that I'm going to present to you tonight, it is essential to realize that the book of Daniel, as part of the Old Testament, was translated into Greek prior to 270 B.C., 270 years before Christ, almost three centuries before Jesus was born. This is a well-established fact of secular history. Take the Bible out of it. This came to pass. You can, you can find it in history outside the Bible. After his conquest of the Babylonian Empire, Alexander the Great promoted the Greek language, promoted it throughout all that known region, including the Jews, spoke Greek. That was their conquest. When you study the history between the Old and New Testament, uh, the conquest of the, of the Greeks was to teach the whole, that known part of the world, the Greek language. They want everybody speaking that language. Hebrew 
the language Hebrew fell into disuse, being reserved primarily for ceremonial purposes. And so in order to make the Jewish scriptures what we call the Old Testament, essentially, more specifically the Law of Moses, available to the average Jewish reader, a project was undertaken under the sponsor of sponsorship of Ptolemy in 285 through 246 B.C. to translate all the Hebrew scriptures into Greek. Seventy scholars, 70 scholars were commissioned to complete this work and their result is known as the Septuagint. Some of you may have heard that word. The word Septuagint means 70, and it refers to the translation of the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek. It's important you understand that. Sometimes it's abbreviated LXX, the Roman numerals L standing for 50, the two X's standing for 10, which would be 70. The book of Daniel is actually one of the most authenticated books of the Old Testament, historically and archaeologically. It's hard to deny all the things that were said and done in the book of Daniel because history and archaeology backs it up. It's also critical to realize that the book of Daniel existed in documented form almost three centuries, almost 300 years before Jesus was born. So in Daniel chapter 9, verse 21, you get the story that Daniel originally departed, or excuse me, deported as a teenager uh, into Babylon. If you'll remember, Israel, the northern kingdom, was deported a little before uh, the southern kingdom, but they were deported, uh, they were deported into Syria. Uh, Rada and Benjamin were deported a, little, a few years later into Babylon, and Daniel was a part of that group of people that was taken captive in Judah, and they were marched into Babylon, and they were there. Daniel realized, and he understood prophecy, that this captivity was going to last for 70 years. The Bible prophesied that. He understood it. And now, it, when you read the book of Daniel, when, when you understand that, Daniel is now at a place where he understands that the 70 years of servitude in Babylon are almost over, and he begins to pray deeply, sincerely for his people that are captive in Babylon. He was praying that way on this particular day in Daniel chapter 9 when the angel Gabriel interrupted his prayer and gave him a four-verse prophecy that is unquestionably one of the most remarkable prophecies in the entire Bible. When you read Daniel chapter 9, 24 through 27, you are reading a prophecy. <laughs> it's remarkable. Let me give you just a real quick general overview and then we'll dive into it. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, you have the scope of the entire prophecy. And I just read that a few moments ago. In verse 25, Gabriel tells Daniel, refers to a period of time that he called 69 weeks. Just like our week has seven days, that kind of a week. 
in the Bible, in Bible prophecies, and the Jews were accustomed to that. We're not. I'm going to explain this in a minute. Jews were accustomed to this reference that Gabriel made to Daniel about the week. In this prophetical instance, this 69 weeks actually is where one week equals seven years. I call it a, well, it's one week equals seven years. I, I don't know how to make that any more simple. <clears throat> so I want all of you to notice tonight, and you can see this on the screen, as he referred to 69 weeks. 69 times 7 would be 483 years is the time, the amount of time that the angel is referring to here. And then in verse 26, I would have all of you notice there's an interval. Some commentaries call it the great parentheses. It's like there's... When this prophecy begins, it runs straight through 69 years. And then it pauses. There's a parentheses here. There's a gap um, between the 69th and 70th week. So at the end of 483 years, there's going to be a pause. There's going to be a gap. There's going to, it's, there's going to be a space of time. There's going to be an era of time that's going to be essentially in brackets. Uh, the the uh, continuing 69 weeks, that prophecy is going to be put on pause. It's just like hitting pause on uh, playing music or something. Just put it on pause, and we're going to pick it up later and then the clock will start running again. And then in verse 27 of Daniel chapter 9, uh, you have, he describes in very brief, brief form, the 70th week. What's interesting to me about the book of Daniel, it overlaps so beautifully with the book of Revelation. It's also interesting to me about the book of Daniel that the vision of the book of Daniel that overlaps with the book of Revelation came to a Gentile king in Babylon and it's become hand in hand. His vision became hand in hand with, with the book of Revelation. He didn't even know what it meant. He got Daniel to come up and interpret that dream, that vision for him. And it's interesting that God did not reveal did not show Nebuchadnezzar in his dream, nor reveal it to Daniel at any other time after that, what that gap between the 69th and 70th week was going to be. We now know that that gap between 69th and, and 70th week is the church age, essentially from Pentecost unto the rapture. That's that bracket. Uh, it's this prophetical era of time has been put on pause it's still on pause when the rapture takes place I believe when the rapture takes place then God will turn on that clock again and the 70th week that seven years remember that fetical week in this case is seven years that one last week that one last seven years will occur after the rapture and all the fulfillment of that which is what the bulk of the book of Revelation is about which we call the Great Tribulation Period. We're still waiting for that to happen. So y'all with me so far? I 
try to explain the best I can. So let's look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Seventy weeks, 490 years, the Bible said, are determined upon thy people, Daniel, the Jewish people, and the holy city, which is Jerusalem, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So this is a scope, kind of a generalized scope of this 490 years, these, these 70 weeks uh, that the, the angel is prophesying. Uh, again, uh, the idiom of a week of years was common in Israel. Uh, I want you to notice this. Some of you will remember it if you've studied the Old Testament. But the idiom of a week of years was common in Israel as a Sabbath for the land. Uh, in which they were commanded to let the land lie fallow every seventh year. They understood this. Uh, they had to give the land a break. It was a Sabbath for the land, and that happened every seventh year. I'll talk about a little bit more about that in just a moment. <clears throat> it was their failure to obey this law that led God to send them into captivity under the Babylonians. They failed to honor the law of the Sabbath, and God had them deported out of their land into Babylon for 70 years. So God made up that time that they ignored, essentially, uh, and, and caused them to be in captivity. I want you to notice that the focus of this passage, the angel made it very clear to, to Daniel he said, all of this is applicable to thy people, the Jewish people, and upon the holy city, that is, the Jews and the city of Jerusalem. So I do not believe that this is directed to the church. The church is in a parenthesis. All of this, 49 weeks, all of this is happening. Uh, you get all the way up to 69 weeks. God hits pause. You have the church age. The church will be raptured, and then he'll finish out the last week. Uh, the last seven years in the Great Tribulation. So the scope of this prophecy includes a broad list of things uh, which clearly have yet to be completed. So let's talk about the first 49, the, excuse me, the first 69 weeks for a moment. This equals, again, 483 years, according to Daniel 9.25. He said, verse 25, Know therefore and understand, that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem, I want you all to understand what's happening here. They're in Babylonian captivity, and Jerusalem has been in ruins for 70 years while they're in captivity. The angel is telling Daniel that there's going to come a time when a commandment is going to be given to your people to go back and to rebuild Jerusalem again rebuild the wall, the streets, and so on. When that commandment comes to pass, when that commandment is made, start running your clock because from that time, it's going to take 483 years and you're going to have the Messiah come to be the king of your people. 483 years. So this includes a mathematical prophecy this was not new. Again, this was not new to Daniel or to the Jewish people. They understood the 70 times 7 
concept in the Bible. Daniel's 70 weeks means a week of years or that a day is equal to a year in the prophetical context. So a prophetical week equals seven years, not seven days. So notice the screen. I'm going to show you something here that is unbelievably powerful and amazing to me. Here's the 70 times 7 that the Jews understand. This is what Daniel would remember. Any student of Jewish history would understand the 70 times 7. From Abraham to the Exodus. From, the, from Abraham, from the time God gave Abraham the promise of a son. In Genesis chapter 12, from that time unto the children of Israel being delivered out of Egyptian bondage was going to be 490 years. This is the first 70 times 7 you'll find in the Bible. Abraham was given this promise when he was 75 years old. You can read in Galatians chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, even Paul said that there would be 430 years from Abraham to the law of Moses so if you add the fact that Abraham was 75 years old plus the 430 years, you get 505 years. If you subtract the 15 years that Ishmael was in the picture from the time he was born till the time he was kicked out, you have exactly 490 years. <clears throat> so then if the clock starts ticking again, when they leave Egypt, the exodus from Egypt until the building of Solomon's temple. This was begun, uh, leaving Egypt, of course, was in the book of Exodus. The building of Solomon's temple began in 1 Kings 6 through 8. Uh, you have the building of the temple. So from the time they left Egypt until the building of Solomon's temple was 594 years. And if you consider it took seven years to complete the temple, that equals 601 years. But if you subtract the time that Israel was hard-headed and stubborn and backslidden during the times of the judges when they were in captivity, you will find they have 111 years that they were in captivity in the, in the book of Joshua and Judges. When you subtract that 111 years out, you have 490 years. So this is twice that this has happened in their history, and the Jews know that. Now you will understand when the disciples asked Jesus that day, how many times in a day shall you forgive? Seven times seven? What did Jesus say? No, 70 times seven. You forgive, not in, you, do, you can do this in a day, but the time equivalent is you forgive as many times as would be allowed in a whole era of time. You forgive and one day, the equivalent is though it was 490 years. So that's what that means. That's where that comes from. And the disciples understood that very clearly. So we've had two amazing events in the Old Testament that already proves that God knows how to make his calendar come to pass no matter what's happening. You can throw Ishmael in the mix. You can throw them being in Mesopotamian uh, servitude, you can be, they can be slaves to the Moabites, the Canaanites, the Midianites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, all these people, it doesn't matter. 
God is still going to bring what he prophesied to pass in the amount of time that he said he would do it. What's interesting to me is, especially when you look at the servitudes in the book of Judges, to these people, you can see it on the screen. When you look at that, it's like because of their backsliding and rebelling against God, it just delayed the promise. It delayed the fulfillment of that coming to pass. That's something to think about. So let's, y'all on board with me? Everybody on board? Can, like everybody, say yes or wave your hand or something? I just, okay. <clears throat> so the book of Daniel, when, when Gabriel is talking to Daniel, he gives three divisions to this 490 years or 70 weeks. He gives three divisions to that. The first division is seven weeks, and then 62 weeks, and then one week. Again, keep in mind the, the prophetical week here is seven years. The first division, seven weeks or 49 years, concluded with the last inspired words of the Old Testament. So from the time this was given until the Old Testament would be about would, would be 49 years. It would end at the book of Malachi, and, and research and study and all that has proven that the book of Malachi is the final book of the Old Testament. <clears throat> Talk a little bit about it in a moment. The second division that Gabriel was telling Daniel about would be 62 weeks. This would be 434 years. The 62 weeks or 434 years terminated when Messiah was cut off or when Jesus was crucified. So these two divisions total 69 weeks or 483 years. And to be really technical here tonight, it equals 173,880 days. God is that specific. He don't round off the year. He goes all the way to the date. So essentially from the, the time this prophecy was given to Daniel, it would be 173,880 uh, days that Messiah would be crucified. Y'all with me? So I talked a little bit about it in our first study about the calendar discrepancy, and this is why I did. We have to understand that the Jewish calendar and the Babylonian calendar, for that matter, used a 360-day year. We use 365 and what, a third? They use 360-day calendar. So 69 weeks of 360-day years total, 173,880 days. Now Jesus said in Matthew chapter 21, verse 42, Jesus said unto them, Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you, the Jewish people, and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof, which are the Gentile people. So in effect, Gabriel told Daniel that the interval between the commandment to rebuild Jerusalem until the presentation of the Messiah would be 173,880 days. I want you to notice the King James translation referred to Jesus as Messiah the Prince. Uh, this is actually Mashiach, Neged. 
the word naked was used of King Saul. It's actually saying Messiah the King. This is a misrepresentation of translation here. Uh, Messiah the Prince. It should read Messiah the King. So notice this tonight. The commandment to restore and build Jerusalem was given by Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. This is interesting to me, especially in light of what's going on in the Middle East right now. Artaxerxes was a king of Persia. Persia is what we now call Iran. So it was the Iranian people, if you will, that gave the commandment to the Jewish people to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting how God makes this come to pass and comes from people that would just about have a stroke right now if they knew, really understood the significance of this. But the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem was given by Artaxerxes, king of Persia, to Nehemiah on March the 14th, 445 B.C. It took Nehemiah away from the, per per the Persian court for 12 years to lead this project. And this is a story you read in the book of Nehemiah. So what Nehemiah is doing is he is starting the literal clock running on this 490-year prophecy with the gap or the parentheses in part of it. The emphasis in verse 25, I want you to notice, and there's a lot of debate and there's a lot of discussion and what have you about this, but the emphasis in verse 25, and I read it, is on the street and the wall, and I commented about that. It was to avoid confusion with any other earlier commandments or mandates that were specifically, when they were specifically told to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. There were four decrees to rebuild Jerusalem or to rebuild Jerusalem and or the temple. Number one was by Cyrus in 537 B.C. in Ezra chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. The second was Darius, found in Ezra chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, verse 8, verse 12. You had two from Artaxerxes in 458 B.C. in Ezra 7, 11 through 26, and Artaxerxes again in 445 B.C., found in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, verse 17 and 18. So the first three commandments, directives, mandates given to the Jewish people to go back to Jerusalem was to rebuild the temple. The fourth commandment, mandate given by Artaxerxes in 445 BC was to rebuild the city and to rebuild the walls and that's when most, that's where most commentaries believe this is where these prophetical clock started running of the 490 years. So let's zoom forward tonight to the New Testament and the triumphal entry. During the ministry of Jesus, you will remember if you're familiar with the four Gospels, there were several occasions in which the people attempted to promote him as their king. We're ready. We want you to be the king. You'll deliver us from the Romans. And he always very carefully avoided it and essentially said, mine hour is not yet come. Then one day, he meticulously arranges it. And this is so interesting to me. He told a couple of his disciples, I want you to go to Jerusalem. And I want you to turn right, turn left, turn right, turn left, whatever. <clears throat> and you're going to see a donkey and then a baby donkey, the foal. I want you to take them. 
and bring them to me. And if anybody asks what you're doing, you just tell them that your father has need of them. And that's what happened. This is how specific and precise this prophecy is. He got on that, that donkey on this particular day and rode into the city of Jerusalem deliberately, deliberately determined to fulfill the prophecy by Zechariah that the Messiah would present himself as king in this particular way. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly, riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Jesus, Zechariah prophesied that in a completely different time frame than the context of Daniel that we've been talking about. Zechariah prophesies this. Jesus not only fulfills the calendar date that was prophesied to Daniel by Gabriel the angel, but he fulfills Zechariah's prophecy about how he was going to present himself as a king. It's amazing to me. This is so amazing to me. You understand culture back then. Kings, when a, when a land was conquered, and the king of the conquering army rode into that city to prove and to show it had been conquered by his army, he didn't come on a donkey. That was a sign of weakness. It was a sign of peace and surrender, if you will. He came on a horse, a stallion, if you will. Big black stallion, beautiful and all of that. Here comes the king of the Jews riding on a donkey. And they missed it. They missed it. Of all the prophecy, of all the things they read and understood and been taught all of their life, they missed it. And if they had not, we wouldn't be sitting here tonight. But here he comes riding a donkey on a baby donkey. Probably his feet was almost dragging them around. Whenever we might easily miss the significance of what is going on, the, pro the, the Pharisees came to our rescue. They felt that the overzealous crowd was blaspheming and proclaiming Jesus as Messiah the King, but Jesus endorsed it. He said in Luke chapter 19 verse 40, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones will immediately cry out. The God, the King of Israel, is going to be worshipped on that day. That day. Not next week, not the week prior, but that day. It didn't matter. It didn't matter who, was, who Herod was. It didn't matter who the Caesar was. It didn't matter about the, all that interval between the Old and New Testament. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. This was going to happen no matter what. It's the precision of prophecy. This occasion that Jesus, this is the only occasion that Jesus presented himself to them as king. It is. And it occurred on April the 6th, 32 AD. So when we examine the period between March the 14th, 445 BC, the commandment given to Nehemiah to restore and build Jerusalem by Artaxerxes, and this event of triumphal entry on April the 6th, 32 AD, when you correct for leap years, you discover 
that it is exactly 173,880 days. This is the third time. This is the third time that this has been fulfilled exactly like God said he would do. So how could Daniel have known this in advance? How could anyone have contrived to have this detailed prediction documented over three centuries in advance? But there's more, and I'm wrapping up here. Here comes this gap, or parentheses, that I've been referring to, found in Daniel chapter 9, verse 26. There appears to be this gap between the 69th week and the 70th week. The Bible said in Daniel 9, 26, And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come uh, shall de- destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. The 62 weeks follow the initial seven. So verse 26 deals with the events after the 69th week, but before the 70th. So there's this gap here. Daniel, Gabriel made that very clear to Daniel. You're going to have all the events be fulfilled through the 69th week, but before the 70th week, the last seven years of this prophecy is fulfilled, there's going to be a gap or parentheses. It's going to be included in this gap or parentheses between the 69th and 70th week that the Messiah will be killed, the city of Jerusalem and their temple will be destroyed. That's included in this gap, which happened uh, a little later on. So as Jesus approached the city on a donkey, he also predicted this is going right before the, the triumphal entry where he would present himself as their king. He prophesied and said to them in Luke 19, 43 through 44, For the day shall come upon thee, that thine enemy shall cast a trench about thee, encompass thee round, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee. That has happened. That's, that's killing them with their children on the inside of them, killing pregnant women. That's, all, that's happened since October 7th. Hamas has literally captured pregnant women and literally cut their baby out of them out in the street, take the baby out of her womb, kill the baby, kill the the mother. We're seeing this happen in front of our eyes. Said, there shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because you knew not the time of your visitation. In this particular case of him coming to present himself as king, he gave them the exact day. He gave them a date and he fulfilled it. And it didn't work and they missed it, so no more dates. That's why no one knows when the rapture will take place or the second coming for that matter. The Messiah was, of course, executed at the crucifixion, but not for himself, the Bible said. It's for everyone else but him. The city and the temple were destroyed 38 years later when the Roman legions under Titus Vespasian leveled the city of Jerusalem in 70 AD, precisely as Daniel and Jesus had predicted. And when this happened, The prophecy of Jesus in Luke chapter 19, verse 42, came to pass. He said, if thou hadst known even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hidden from thine eyes. There was a blindness put on the Jewish people in 70 AD when they did not see their Messiah. They didn't accept him as their Messiah. He blinded them. 
and they will be blind until the second coming of Christ back to the Mount of Olives, which is yet to happen. Notice, he did allow, God allowed Paul to give some kind of a, a calendar, if you will, in Romans eleven twenty five, He said, but I would not, this is to the Gentile people, not even to the Jews. He's talking to Gentile people. He said, I would not have you, uh, I, I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. The blindness in part has happened to Israel. <clears throat> so they've been blinded in part until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So God is going to establish a church with the Gentile people. And at some point, he's going to take them out of here. And then after that, the wheels of prophecy, the time clock will start ticking again. And then you will understand that the Messiah you crucified was actually your true Messiah. And you'll recognize him in the second coming by the nail prints in his hands. So the fullness or times of the Gentiles began, I believe, in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius and will end at the rapture of the church. In fact, as one carefully examines Jesus' specific words, it appears that he held them accountable to know this astonishing prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. He said, because you knew not the time of your visitation. So to wrap this up tonight, there's a remaining seven-year period to be fulfilled, and we all know that it is a great tribulation, Jacob's trouble, and so on. This period is the most documented period in the entire Bible. The tribulation period is the most documented period of time in the entire Bible. The book of Revelation, chapter 6 through 18, is essentially a detailing of that climactic period of time. The interval between the 69th and 70th week continues, but it is increasingly apparent to all of us here tonight, hopefully, that even this time for the church is about to be over. The more one is familiar with the numerous climactic themes of end-time prophecy, the more it seems that Daniel's 70th week, or the Great Tribulation period, is on higher horizon. So I want to ask everybody here tonight, have you done your homework? Are you and your family ready for the rapture of the church? If you're not, you probably don't have as much time as you think. I've heard end time prophecy as far back as I can remember as a child. And I thought the rapture would take place when I was a teenager, thought I'd never get married, thought I'd never have kids, none of that. And we're still here. But if there were so many people that felt it was so close back then, then how much closer are we today? I believe it's imminent. Um, I personally don't see any more end time prophecy that needs to be fulfilled before the rapture of the church can take place next Wednesday night I want to talk to you about the red heifer uh, it's a, a subject that's been buried for years but now all of a sudden it's coming to light because it got into the news that not only has Israel been looking for that perfect red heifer it's believed now they already have one and there's perhaps two more on the way they're going to have to have that for their Messiah, who they think is their Messiah, um, in the middle of the tribulation. So you say, well, that's three and a half years away. No, you got to back it up even more than that. Uh, we have to get to the tribulation first, and then it's three and a half years.
So we don't have a lot of time left if they're looking for this, this, this cow. <clears throat> I'll conclude with this. I remember Brother Jeff Moses, one of the most outstanding teachers of prophecy I've ever heard, was told by a Jewish rabbi, when we get our red heifer that's perfect, that has no black hair, no white hair, he's never been yoked, uh, I say he, she, um, will have to be at least three, three years old. Uh, when we get that, he told Brother Moses to walk out in your front yard and lift your hands and wait for the sound of a trumpet. If the Jews realize that, how much more should we realize that? <clears throat> God bless you tonight. Say a prayer before you go to bed tonight. Do some repenting, and hopefully, we'll still be, we will be here Sunday morning um, to hear another sermons and Bible studies. But next Wednesday night, Lord willing, I'll talk to you about the red heifer. So God bless you tonight. Uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for your amazing attention. This is, I think this is the first Bible study or church service I've ever held where I didn't notice anyone getting up and going in and out. So now I know what to do to keep everybody in here, right? So thank you for your attention very much. God bless you. You're dismissed tonight.